You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. never know what the elements are going to throw at you as a hunter. you got to be prepared. One way we prepare for all the elements a season can throw at us is hunting out of redneck blinds. Absolutely. Everything from their fiberglass blinds, their soft side blinds, the hay bale blinds, and now the waterfowl blinds. There's a blind for almost every situation. Yep. Um, it's American-made, and they're going to last a lifetime. That's it. The thing I love so much about redneck fiberglass blinds is the ability to hunt areas without trees or with swirly winds to where now we can put them in place, close up the windows, and then when it comes time for the shot, open the windows up, and we're still in the game. For me, love the little secret of the hay bale blind. We're in cattle country. You can move in a hay bale blind the day of the hunt. Deer are pretty accustomed to them. They're not scared of them. Very applicable to hunting in our neck of the woods. These blinds are awesome. Get you out of the elements and ready for hunting. And... The other huge benefit, how many shooting houses did you build as a kid? I built a ton of them, and <laughs> Actually, none of them are still with us. Yeah. So these are going to last a long, long time. Check them out at redneckblinds.com. All right, welcome to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we're just going to jump right into it this week. We have a dear friend of ours from QDMA. And I was thinking back this morning, Matt, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure Matt Ross has not been with us since the uh, oh, 13th. 13th or 14th po- podcast that we did, and we talked all about uh, TSI, timber stand improvement, forestry management, and how that correlates to whitetail. So this is long overdue to have Matt back on the podcast. Matt, are you there? I'm here and uh, excited to be with you guys. I didn't realize it's been that long. How many uh, podcasts are you guys up to now? This is 92 92 of the Habitat-focused podcast, but we started doing another podcast, which was hunting, and it's at 31, so we're over 100 now. Wow. You're very productive, and uh, I'm honored to be back. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for joining us again. Um, we have a very the, – the biggest reason why we wanted to bring you on, not just to catch up, but also you have a an interesting story that unfolded this fall that I think we can all learn from, and hopefully it inspires us to do similar things with people in our neck of the woods. So um, for our listeners, give us a, a kind of an overview of what, what all unfolded for you. Uh, well, this this fall was the second season where um, I've been really 
concentrating on introducing a close friend of mine to, to deer hunting, uh, someone that has no background in it, no family relation to, to hunting. Nobody taught him. I met him in school and uh, he's been asking for a couple of years. And last year was our first year out with a little success. And uh, I, I knew it wasn't going to be a one and done thing. Mm. You know, you can't really learn in one outing. So I promised him, you know, this would be a couple of years in the making. So this was our second season out and uh, success again. And uh, uh, we're taking it, you know, like you eat an elephant, you bite at a time. We're doing little <laughs> steps here and there. So yeah. we, we did it. We did a little bit more this year than than last. And uh, he's really into it. I'm, and I'm really into teaching him. And uh, it, it's been an exciting journey. So I, I uh, I'm excited you guys want to, to profile it because I think it's something uh, more veteran hunters should do. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, of course, I've been thinking before you called uh, about maybe doing this podcast. You know, what, why I have been so inspired to do it. And there's a lot of reasons we can talk about that, but it partly could be my age. You know, I'm getting to the point in my hunting career where I really do want to give back. But I don't know if I would have done that in my teens or you know younger twenties. Right. I'm I'm 42 now with kids, so. I don't know if that's primarily it. There's a lot of lot of uh, reasons why uh, work is what one of them as well, and we'll talk about that. I'm guessing, but yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm excited to 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 teach somebody what I know. It's it's fun. Yeah, my my biggest question is, you know, there there's certainly um, two different types of people, I guess, new hunters that you can bring in, and those are ones of younger age, you know, kids, and and there's always, uh, I think, have been a a big push for bringing kids into the outdoors, introducing them, raising them up in the outdoors. But um, this gentleman that you took out, he's not, you know, 12, 15 years old. You know, he's older in age. And Mm -hmm. if you don't mind talking a little bit about, you know, why he's been interested in getting out. And then I guess the retention rate for him as a hunter, you know, like I said, it's not just a, a one and done. This is a big learning process. So, you guys had success last year, but he's he's able to come back out time-wide stuff, you know, to continue to learn years down the road. So uh, what's his big push, and I guess what what's his age, his kind of profile? Uh, he is, and I, I, I may get this uh, wrong, but he's in his late 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met in college, but I'm a little older in grad school. I was finishing as he was uh, starting. Uh he may be 40, and uh, I'm sure Andy's going to l- listen to this and, and uh, not like it that I don't know his age. But <laughs> he, he's y- younger than I am, but um, his interest was, you know, meat focused, and uh, I'll talk about that as well. Uh, you know, as you guys mentioned, I work for QEMA. Um, we've been involved in the kind of the conservation realm for 30-plus years, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary, and we've been focusing on recruitment for a long time. And that focus had been just like all the other conservation organizations, you know, for the first 15, 20 years of our uh, existence and longer for some of the other groups out there, youth focused. And, you know, we, we've been involved in that R3 movement. Um, and on the youth focus, we've had programs called, uh, well, shoot, one of the first things we did back in early 2000s uh, was uh, developed a mentored hunting guide uh, to, to take a kid out. It's basically a checklist that you can earn a, uh, a different steps, almost like the Boy Scouts do. You get badges as you work through the process. Oh, yeah. That was based on kids and still exists. You can get that on our website. Uh, program called Share Your Hunt, um, Rack Pack, 
that was a youth membership QDMA has. Um, that was pilot programmed. The, the name Rack Pack came from what kids wanted. Um, and all and QDMA in the classroom where uh, a teacher can actually sign up and get a whole curriculum and, and PowerPoints. That exists too. Uh, but just a few years ago, uh, a lot of the research started showing, and you'll see the recruitment efforts going out there, focusing on uh, non-traditional adult hunters, which Andy is. That's my friend. Um, and the reason, Matt, you're alluding to is, you know, a lot of them have an interest. They, they might be slightly different than when we were introduced, because, of course, many of the current hunters out there, we can get into some of the statistics if you want, how many hunters there are now mm-hmm. versus the, the, you know, previous time. But a lot of the first time uh, hunters and even current hunters, I mean, you guys, I'm sure do rank meat or, you know, for that that meal based uh, reward as one of the primary motivations. It's certainly yeah, not no the primary motivation, but uh, for a lot of us, we like all the other things, camaraderie, the adventure of it, the challenge, the strategy, time away from the indoors. But, you know, the meal, what you get out of it is always ranked to the top for veteran hunters and for new hunters, those first time hunters, that's the largest majority. And that's the case with my friend Andy is uh, he's a meat eater. Um, you know, him and his wife, uh, they live in New Hampshire. They have two little boys uh, and uh, they're interested in getting food that they know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have chickens. Uh, they go to the farmer's market. They want, and he just had an interest. Now he's a forester, uh, okay. so he's got that outdoor drive. Um, he grew up outside of Boston, but really is is an outdoorsman at heart. So he went to school for forestry and spends a lot of time around loggers and other foresters and in the woods. And uh, that connection to the outdoors is very very strong for him. So it made sense to learn about deer hunting, and. Uh, you know, he asked me, oh, man, I don't know. And for those of listeners that are QDMA members, Andy wrote an article last year after his first year's experience. It was it was in our magazine. Uh, oh, I could cool. probably get you guys a PDF if you wanted to link it to this podcast. Yeah. And uh, he intends on writing a follow-up for, for this year, uh, his, his uh, time outside and mm-hmm. what he learned from it. But um, several years he had been asking me – now we were close uh we've been close since we were in school but i've been in new york state for almost 11 or 12 years you know we knew each other in college and uh having little kids as as uh adam will find out soon challenge makes a challenge you know so we, we were uh talking about going hunting together but it was always kind of a near miss we never really made it happen and uh his interest grew every year and uh, he took hunter ed and uh, that's when I knew he was really serious. And we made the plans last year to, to come out. And uh, um, I don't know. It's just kind of been a snowball. Uh, this year, he made sure he had more time to come and spend time with me. Because last year, it was the experience of the kill. And mm-hmm. then left. And we were be- both left feeling a little empty that we were not able to do some of the other um, things that go along with hunting. Um, even field dressing, he shot... Uh, his, he shot a doe last year. That was his first deer uh, that he'd ever killed. He killed it in the evening, um, you know, last 30 minutes before shooting light. Mm-hmm. And it was dark. It made it challenging to show him how to do that. And uh, I did it. 
partly and I walked him through part of it, but it just wasn't a great learning experience. And then he had to leave the next morning. So we didn't, uh, right. field dressing was part of the lesson, but not really, uh, really butchering didn't really exist in uh, uh, the teaching at all. So this year we vowed to, to make sure he was here for more time. He got here early. Uh, I had already sighted in uh, the gun he was going to use as I did last year, but this time he actually shot it ahead of the hunt, which, you know, a shame on us. We didn't do that last year, but we just didn't have the time. Mm-hmm. I gave him a gun that was really right on, but sure. um, he wanted to shoot it and feel it. And uh, we did that this year and all the way through the end where he left with a cooler full of meat. He did everything. That's um, awesome. And uh, since you guys follow me on Instagram, I, uh, we were talking about that earlier before we got on live here. Um, I had shot two does about four or five days ahead of that. And uh, I intentionally did not butcher them. Um, I, I, I had a one day where I killed two does from the stand before opener of right. uh, rifle season. So it was a great morning. And uh, I, I saved those in case he didn't get a deer, we could still butcher them and I could show him that. So we ended up with one heck of a, a, a work day on That is a work he, day. He got two deer his first morning, and uh, I'm like, man, we have to butcher four deer now. That, that's a lot of work. <laughs> and so he got lots of opportunity where we were going through and deboning, and I, I saw him. Uh, it, it's funny. I said this to Andy as we were going through the day. It was like 14 hours of cutting up deer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I said, man your cutting is getting swifter and more precise. But, you know, in the beginning, he was a little bit apprehensive, but by the end he was up right on. I was like, just giving him a, a quarter or a chunk of meat. And he turned it into something that looked like you put in a store under oh, glass. Wow. I mean, it was, it was awesome. So he had, he had a, uh, um, you know, quite under fire, but he had a really good lesson this, this past time around. Oh, wonderful. What do you think? It sounds like probably overall, what do you think his uh, most, memorable part of that experience was what did he take away the most uh i you know we talked about it quite a bit uh i think the thing that he probably is the most i'll say two things frustrated with that he wants to have the opportunity again and he said this to me was the skinning and quartering Mm -hmm. um although that seems kind of almost second nature to me he that was challenging to him um, I bet the most rewarding, though, is kind of that completed process as he was putting, um, you know, completely vacuum sealed packages of meat in a cooler to put in the back of his pickup truck to leave. Totally. Um, and I said to him, and, and he, he agreed, I'm like, when you get home and you put that in the freezer, um, you're going to like have this continual feeling of satisfaction. I mean, it's quite an amazing feeling that like storing meat for the year for your family and you did it i mean it's very innate it's just oh, inside yeah. us that you want you like that feeling no doubt no doubt and it's, it's, it's always cool like i said i i guess my wife and i we have a, a deep freezer and there's the left half is all wild game and the right half is all stuff that she will get from the store it's pork uh frozen turkey some beef uh but like they're very separated, and then whenever I go to go get something out, it's like heck yeah, I open it up. I'm like, that's I did that. That left side half filled. So what do you say? The left side's the most expensive meat. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I don't say that to her. <laughs> she already knows that. <laughs> yeah. But it is. It's very rewarding to be able to say, you know, I was able to 
help provide that and then take it not only from, you know, the success of the hunt, but then take it down and, and package it and prepare it and make yeah. a complete full circle with that. Um, and at first she, she grew up in family. Like she's had deer meat before and, and enjoys it in very particular ways. Like it has to be done this way. It, now, as I'm doing it more frequently, um, and trying different recipes, she's certainly coming, uh, I guess, more open to trying these different recipes and expanding even her, uh, I guess, taste buds, developing them for wild game. And um, she's she's getting definitely more and more uh, open to it. Yeah, we we talked about it uh, over the weekend, and particularly after he got the deer, we had uh, uh, we can get kind of into the details of the hunt if you'd like. But um, he shot the deer. And it was so fast that I just wanted to like soak it in. Mm-hmm. So we had brought a couple of Yetis full of coffee. We sat and drank coffee with two deer down, didn't even go look at them and talk for an hour and a half about all kinds of stuff. How he was feeling, you know, looking at stuff just about college, you know, just enjoyed being together because he lives a couple states away and we talk all the time, but right. it was just, it was nice, you know? So one of the things we talked about during the like hour and a half of just sitting is um, my motivations for hunting, how they change and they can change, you know, they definitely change as I age, they change within a season, even, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I'm going out, um, you know, like sometimes it's about the strategy. Like I really want to best a specific deer and that challenge is just so, uh, enamoring for me and i told him i'm you know and you asked matt uh what his primary reward was you know right now it's meat focus and i told him i said you know that that is going to be your your focus right now but as you become more invested in hunting and i can see him doing that um it it will evolve Mm -hmm. over you know over even a couple week period or even throughout a season of why you're going yeah Um, once your freezer's full it might be the challenge. If you don't have meat in the freezer, sometimes that focus is, man, we're, we're pretty dry in that, in that freezer. I, I need to get some meat in the freezer, you know? So it changes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there, there's something so, uh, I guess, I don't know, pure is the right word for it though, but of like that simplistic nature of hunting and where he's coming into like his current kind of mindset of, you know, I just want to provide for my family you know, the experience of the harvest, even though it's quick, it, you know, it's great. And I had time to reflect about it, but like I said, his biggest rewards were packing up that meat and taking it home. <laughs> you know, I, I just as guilty as any other hunter out there of putting emphasis on all these different things. But again, you know, looking back at like his mindset, it's like, man, that's just pure. It's raw. It's like, that's why he's doing it. And that's such an awesome focus for, all hunters to, I think, reflect on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, w- when you think about the reasons we hunt, and, of course, we all know by now that hunter numbers are declining, but then you look at people taking new people and what their primary focus is, and most often it sounds like uh, what we're experiencing is people are just looking for ways to, to go and harvest something to fill their freezer and know where it came from. 
rather than somebody new off the street, 40 years old, saying, I want to go shoot a mature deer. Two hundo, please. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so and I think that for me, and this has been the great change that's happened over uh, in, in my mind over the last few years, is if if the mature deer is preached upon, how many years does it take before – I'm the only guy on in the neighborhood even hunting, and then you go, how far have number have hunter numbers declined to a point where legislation could be changed to where it's really not in our favor at all? Yeah. Um, th- and that's my biggest fear. So that's why I love hearing stories like that you're sharing of a of a of a guy who maybe he's forty, maybe he's not forty. We don't know. <laughs> and how Age he had unknown. his primary focus of going. And uh, and it wasn't related to the to the age of the deer, but it was more the focus of of harvesting meat and knowing where it came from. And and maybe he'll evolve to where he's targeting mature deer or bigger deer, and he may never get there. And and that doesn't matter. It's just the fact that we that you not we but you introduced a new hunter to the mm-hmm. outdoors and had and put the experience so great that now he wants to uh, return. Yeah, I think I don't want to jump into because I know we're we'll getting to it <clears throat> later, but that's why. I think there's so much weight and needs to be more um, discussion talked about QDMA's field to fork program because you you guys have analyzed basically that that exact uh, same thought and said okay yeah. if we want to recruit new hunters this is this is their focus so we need to meet them where they're at and get them introduced to hunting um, and reward them with the meat and and basically honor that. And you guys have started a program that's taking off across the country and introducing new hunters that's built around, again, know where your food comes from. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, major kudos to our hunting uh, heritage manager, Hank Forrest. So I don't know if Hank's been on your podcast before, but he's him, not, not yet. And my colleague. Has he been? Not yet. We, no, uh, no. we talked about it when we were at the convention this year, getting him on. Um, yeah. He was so busy, yeah. yeah, down at down at the convention. But we're gonna get him on sometime soon. Yeah, he's he's our you know leader on the R three movement, and he and uh, a colleague in, at um, with Georgia DNR, Georgia Wildlife Federation, and some other uh, supporters that uh, have the R three coordinator there in Georgia. His name is Charles Evans. The two of them kind of. Uh, not necessarily dreamed up this program, but they, they took a program that a state agency had that in Kentucky, um, which was kind of the original uh, copywritten field of fork program that they're doing there and duplicated it and tweaked it a little bit. And uh, it's a really, really good idea. As Matt mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, you go into the, to the place where people have that interest and in trying to recruit them there. And that program has been really popular. And if, if you do uh, have Hank on, he could, he can talk about that quite a bit, but um, yeah, you guys are right. I mean, one of the scary things is how many hunters we've lost back when QDMA was founded. Um, it was estimated there was about 16 million hunters and the latest survey in 2016 that you, the U S fish and wildlife service did said we had, we're down to 11 and a half million. That's a almost 30% Oof. drop in 30 years. That's a lot, you know, mm-hmm. almost a third yeah. uh, of hunters are down. And of those 11, uh, 0.5 million, uh, only about nine are, are uh, or 80%, 9 million are big game hunters, which, uh, you know, so there's even fewer. Now that's the most commonly pursued species and they're the most ubiquitous, you know, deer are everywhere. Um, they're the easiest 
to get to, you know, you can get them on public and private lands all across the country, except for the extreme West. And they have the most meat on them, you know, compared to some of the Western species. No, but, um, they're the most accessible. So Definitely. if people are interested, you know, only about five, four or 5% of the American public hunt. So there's a big potential there, that pool of candidates that could become hunters, 96% of them don't hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, if some of them are interested in where their food comes from, white-tailed deer is the most, you know, plausible species you'd try to teach them to go after because you could go in outside of a city. You could go, white-tails are everywhere, and they have a lot of meat on them. So it makes a lot of sense, and that's where the Field of Fork program um, really does some great things. And, yeah, we uh, – Hank and Charles piloted that program in Georgia for a couple of years, and – we expanded it to seven states in 2018, New York being one of them. Uh, um, my colleague, Mike Edwards, had a program in the western part of our state that was really successful, and we're going to grow it again. I, I would imagine you'll see it uh, maybe double in size next year, if not more, with more more involvement. So really great program. And that's part of our recruit arm of our goals. Um, I know you guys wanted me to touch upon those as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have this broader five-year uh, mission g- goals that you can find on our website, and recruiting new hunters is one arm of that. There's there's actually uh, a whole bunch of facets to it, but we our goal is to mentor one million new or beginning hunters in the next five years, so two hundred thousand a year, um, to kind of give you a baseline of where we stood before we announced the goals. We did some surveys, some human dimension surveys of our membership to see what our members were doing, what our branches were doing to kind of get a sense of where we were. And according to uh, the initial kind of baseline survey, we had seen that there was about 150 to 160,000 new hunters a year being mentored through either members taking folks out, our our formal programs that branches are involved with, um, you know, those types of things. So we announced our goals and we said, okay, that's where our current baseline is. We want to up that to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are going to try to do 200,000 hunters mentored a year. That was back in 2016, 17. So the last survey we uh, put out there, we, it was kind of a, you know, taking the temperature of where we were. You can find this data on our website as well. Um, we actually hit that number. Uh, you know, we did a lot of promoting. We announced Field of Fork, um, really pushed a lot through social media, told all our branches you, they needed to up what they were doing, did some member-specific uh, um, messaging to, to people that aren't involved with PDMA branches and said, hey, if you're a hunter, uh, try to take somebody out new this year. So that number went up, and we actually got just over the 200,000 mark. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, we're not cooking numbers there. We asked the survey the exact same way, the same time of year, and just taking an index. And to give you a sense of that, you know, we did that for all of our goals, and, and one or two of them either were about the same or went down. So we're being honest here, but the, mm-hmm. the recruit number went up. Right. So that's a good feeling. And no doubt. Uh, just I mentioned this earlier, uh, my motivation for taking Andy out uh, one of those was we were challenged within our organization from our upper management to take somebody out, you know, sure. to, to, to be a uh, um, 
you know, a pillar in the industry and say, listen, show that you are doing this. Let's right. walk the walk. So uh, John Eastman, who's who's uh, in our organization on one of our staff calls said, I'd like all of you folks to take somebody out. And uh, it just clicked for me when he said that. It was a couple of years ago. Andy had been asking me or saying, hey, I'd love to go hunting with you sometimes. But we were kind of doing those near misses because I don't know, he'd have a sick kid or I was traveling, you know, something was happening and he said it. And I said, you know what? I actually have somebody. This is somebody I know that does not hunt that has been asking me. I'm kicking myself for not doing it. And I'm not faulting anybody that's listening to this. I mean, I've, I've gone through that selfish phase where I was all about me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hunt. Um, you know, I get it. I mean, I, I think all hunters go through those five different phases, you know, and that I had gone through that. But f- when he said that, that clicked for me. And I, I actually either texted or called Andy within probably hours of that conversation of that staff call and said, this is our year. We are doing yep. this. And uh, that was what it took. I don't know why. And uh, he heard a different energy in my voice when I told him that. And I think he had already gotten Hunter Ed, but we made concrete plans. Right. You know, right. clear clear this work schedule, talk to the wives, whatever we needed to do. And that's what we did last year. And uh, it was so fun and infectious that last year, you know, before he even left, I'm like, you're coming back next opening day. And it was my opening day, guys. You know, yeah. like in the in New York, that's there's big. a lot of hunters. Opening day, I know that's big for every every state, but that's the day you're out mm-hmm. and i made it that was that was not about me right it was about him on opening day and he's asked me both years he said you know i i know that that's a big deal i, I don't have to come this weekend i'm like it's your best shot at getting a deer <laughs> you have to be here that day yeah like yeah. Let, you know it's not like i'm not carrying a firearm with me i do sure. but it's like I want it to be about him. I, I mean, it's one day a year or two if we hunted the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's worth it to me. Yeah, no doubt. I, there's there's two things I think that come to mind in, in that. Um, you're talking about, you know, just the honest reaching of those the goals within QDMA. And you said, you know, the recruitment numbers were above what your guys' target goal was. But a couple of them were down, and it hit me. It's like, you know, knowing some of the other goals within the, you know, those other arms or branches that you guys want to reach, um, it's going to take new hunters to help reach those. So as long as you're moving the needle forward with recruiting hunters, those new hunters are going to help you reach those additional goals. So I, to me, it, it's very encouraging to hear that, hey, the recruitment number is up, and we're getting more people um, which means hopefully more access to some other lands to uh, improve that habitat or share share more meals with um, you know food drives and food banks and stuff like that across the country. So that's that's super encouraging. And two, when it comes to locking in things with Andy, you guys made plans a year out. Like it was a long time, and you set dates. And I think that's honestly sometimes what it takes is everyone is so busy and hunting season falls in and around holidays. There's so much travel and there's work schedules and it takes that time to schedule it and just set, Hey, this is what's going to happen. So I guess the, that's a good rule of thumb for people who are wanting to get other people out, take them hunting, make sure you set it in a calendar and 
stick to it, plan for it, and you guys have seen success come from that multiple years in a row. Yeah, I, and, and you know, I he had been he had been asking, you know, he approached me, but I think for your listeners, um, you know, we all are surrounded by people that are non hunters. Mom, you get this? How, <laughs> you know how many people don't hunt? You know, it, you know, <laughs> it, go, going to church, people that are might be, you know, your your kids go to the same school as as uh, uh, their kids. Um, you might run into them, um, you know, at work. Uh, they're from all over the place, you know, and uh, there's likely somebody there that all it takes is is asking them if they'd be interested. Um, it's, it's easier said than done. I understand. I mean, I, I was lucky in that I had somebody asking me, mm-hmm. um, but I, I would extend, I've done this on, on other podcasts before, um, talking about hunter recruitment. I mean, I would challenge just like John did for me and my colleagues, every single one of your listeners that are, are download this podcast, uh, you know, here's Matt Ross's challenge to you an extension of what John did for me. I challenge you to take a new hunter in 2020 or 2019. I mean, uh, take, take somebody new. It, you know, we're deep into the season now, but make plans for next year as the season ends. Pay attention to the conversations you're having uh, either on social media. Maybe you post a, a picture of a deer you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody comments that you know that they'll hunt and it's a positive comment, say, hey, would you be interested in going with me? I'll take you next year. Um, if, if your water cooler talk, at work and somebody asks you how your weekend was and you tell them you got a deer and they say, that's really neat. Offer them, you know, extend that hand. Uh, if you're at church and, you know, service has ended and you're talking to folks afterwards on your way out and, uh, that conversation happens, offer that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you won't have somebody take you up on it, but I think we need to be better ambassadors. Um, there's certainly some hunters out there that feel fewer hunter sounds and uh you know like a good thing uh right. oh there's less hunters there's less competition but considering there's less where the pressure funding comes yeah. from uh you know money generated from license fees excise taxes on all of those things guns ammo ang- angling equipment provides about 60 percent of the funding for state wildlife agencies and state wildlife agencies manage most of the wildlife in the U.S., including the species we pursue. So we need hunters. We need that engine to have its fuel. And with 30% fewer hunters, budgets are down. A lot, th- a lot of those things are bad. So we need those hunters out there to buy those. And a testament to the Field of Fork program, those folks that are members uh, will probably be getting, if you haven't already, we do our annual fund ask. We you know put out a, a letter out there that says, hey, um, it's about the end of the year, please give. And there's a profile of a, a young hunter. Uh, he's, he's an adult that went through our field of fork program. He's Haitian mm-hmm. that went to, uh, moved to Georgia to get his PhD at the university of Georgia. His name is Edwin. And he's, he's a, a perfect example of what we're talking about. He was interested in learning where his meat came from. He's, he's, uh, learned, went to the, the farmer's market in, in Athens, Georgia, uh, signed up, went hunting, got his first deer, uh, actually enjoyed it so much. He went out on his own after the introduction and shot a couple other deer. Man, that's awesome. Gave some of that meat to his his uh, fellow PhD and postdoc candidates in the same lab he worked at in at the University of Georgia. Went out. 
He borrowed, I think, a firearm that year, went out and bought himself a firearm, um, you know, went through all the things that he needed to. Uh, so now he's a gun owner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a legal gun owner in the United States. And he did. So he paid excise tax doing that. And then this fall, he actually introduced two or three. I can't remember the number of his lab mates to hunting. Man. He was a new hunter last year and he took out people hunting this year. He had such a good time. And uh, it's just that snowball effect. So how many of those folks that you talk to at church, at work, you know, at school, the other parents at school, all those places that you touch non-hunters and talk to them, how somebody that you talk to could turn into one of those like Edwin that starts buying a gun. And actually the two first years of the Field of Fork program in Georgia, there's just a really, again, a, a great uh, statistic about this. I think like 70 or 80% of the, the people that went through it continued hunting and bought firearms. Man, they were not cool. gun owners before. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, These people that are are may seem like they're from a different um, box than you are in. You know, I'm talking to the listeners here. They're not all that different. They might be interested in where their meat comes from, and they might become a gun owner and somebody that wants to hunt. I mean, it's it, it's it's a little scary, I understand, but reach across and see what what you might find. I mean, I think it's good. No doubt, no doubt, and and just like we've talked on the podcast before, Adam and I, you know, there has to be um, more unity among us hunters. There there's there doesn't need to be this like you know division line of oh. You're a crossbow hunter. I'm I'm a compound. Your rifle. I'm a shotgun. Whatever it is, you know. Again, we're all hunters, and that's a perfect example of someone you might not think that wears that hunter hat, but is a prime candidate for, you know, becoming a hunter and then teaching other people to hunt. Um, he's doing. He's done a lot and probably more than most of us can say in introducing new hunters within just the past two years. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some detrimental things that you see and social media I think is is one of those things that's been kind of somewhat detrimental to hunting, not for just social media as a whole, but some of the things we've done on social media, um, or people posting things that it seems like there's a lot of division among hunters if you just scan through social media. Um, with like Matt said, hunter crossbow hunters versus archery hunters, or uh, a uh, a dog hunter yeah. <laughs> versus a non a guy who's completely Western against hunter it. versus oh. Eastern. Yeah, yeah, there's so much division, and then there's some people that may post uh, images of a harvest that are in complete uh, tacky taste. I guess I should say that that could be detrimental too. Two, um, the chances image, of man. of recruiting new hunters, and and I think hopefully just this podcast alone will raise some awareness with our listeners that there's things that we should really watch ourselves from doing, um, and it's so in the future we can recruit more hunters. Exactly. Yeah. How is how is it as a father recruiting your daughters? Uh, what is the techniques you use? Um, to try to to bring them into the outdoors well that's you know my daughters are six and four so they're pretty small Um, yep and uh right now uh i got i have some great 
mentors myself, you know, people that have kids that are a little older than mine that I'm close with through QMA and other places. So I, I, I try to model what I do after some of my uh, closest friends that I see what works and, mm-hmm. um, you know, what looks like fun. Um, and uh, Kip Adams, who's my boss, is more than my boss. He's a friend. And he has two kids that are a little older, and he's done a lot of writing for QDMA, some stuff on our website if you're, if folks are interested in. But right now I'm just trying to, to spend time with them outside. Yeah. Um, it's not really about trying to go shoot something or put myself in a place where we see deer. Um, it's more about having fun. And, uh, you know, kids of that age are all about playing and, and uh, trying to stay quiet is a little difficult. So <laughs> the past right. couple of years it's been uh, – you know, I have a small lot of land, seven acres. There's public land behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, but my daughters are so small, they can't walk that far yeah. you know, with a bunch of gear, and neither can I. So the past couple of years has been put a blind up on the back of our property, not far from the public land. It's all huntable, very accessible. We can walk out the back door if they have to go to the bathroom. If we have to, we can walk back to the house, you yeah. know, those kinds of things. And uh, just having fun, you know, uh, bringing binoculars, bringing grunt calls, letting them make noise. Lots of snacks, blankets, uh, you know, binoculars that are kids' binoculars. We talk about the different birds and chipmunks we're seeing, all kinds of stuff like that. So it's it's been more of a let's go have a play date um, than a uh, than let's go hunting. I bring my bow sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not actually introduced them to a gunshot yet. Uh, since they're so small, I'm waiting for them to get a little older. Probably do that with my older daughter. Um, this summer, mm-hmm. you know, shoot some guns around her, that kind of thing. But it's it's about face paint, wearing camo, and going to play in the woods. That's really <laughs> what we're doing. We make sure we have face paint on. Now, this year, I took my six-year-old uh, out onto one of the properties I have access to, my brother-in-law's farm. And uh, we I had a blind out there. That's actually where Andy shot his deer. And it's a pretty short walk. Uh, I had to carry her a little bit. But for the most part, <laughs> she walked while I carried all kinds of gear. And uh, uh, we saw some deer. Um, That's cool. Uh, it was actually a legitimate shot of me shooting something. It was during bow season, yeah. and uh, uh, we we had a good time. And she was she was quiet. We we went out towards the last hour of the the, the day, and uh, you know didn't want to maximize how much time I was out there. Even if we spooked deer walking to it, it was okay. I didn't sure. think she would last super long. So uh, that that was. It's been more more about me getting the kids out. My, the steps I'll probably take, you know, just learning from Kip and Brian Murphy, our CEO, he's got daughters that are in college now, one in college and one in high school, is uh, you kind of like slowly work them through it. Um, I'll get them, uh, you know, BB guns and let them kind of shoot targets. Sure. At some point, we'll get a small caliber rifle for the girls and uh, uh, we'll, we'll work on targets and then probably small game first. Um, one of the things that Brian did Brian Murphy that Kip did that I really love is the kids had to kind of graduate to deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very, this is right in the long lines of our mentored hunting guide that I mentioned earlier is they had to shoot some squirrels or small game first. Uh, totally. Squirrels was kind of the, the species of choice though, because you can make noise. You can, and, and think about how many shot opportunities that squirrels you get where you go through the steps of being safe, safety on safety off, you know, where you're shooting, pay attention to what's behind the target you can have several of those in an outing. Yeah. So it's really good. So I don't remember the number of squirrels each of their kids had to shoot, uh, but that was what they had to do. They had to go through 
um, kind of a graduation of shooting, I don't know, five or 10 squirrels uh, before they could go deer hunting. And mm. every state's different in how young you can take your kids hunting. Uh, in New York, it's one of the most restrictive. Um, so I don't want to start the process too early. Um, our kids in our state can't go out with a bow until they're 12. Uh, or yeah. with, uh, you can take kids out 14 or 15 during youth weekend with a gun and you can't buy a license until you're 16. Mm. Um, so my girls are still quite a ways mm. away from that and I don't plan on moving our families from New York. So I, I I'm going to work that process up slowly. I would start it earlier if we were in a state that was less restrictive on hunting age. Sure. I don't want to wait too long where they lose interest, but mm-hmm. I'm not even close to that. Six yeah. and four are pretty young. So but you know, uh, Matt. For me, when I was growing up, and I'm I'm 31, Missouri, you weren't allowed to buy a tag until you were 12 years old. And so, like, I didn't. I, other than small game hunting, um, I wasn't able to shoot turkeys or deer until I was 12. So there mm-hmm. was a lot of years there. I mean, as a as a nine, ten, eleven year old, where I the only experience I could have was just going and sitting in a blind with dad and looking back and kind of knowing how I was as a kid, I I think that was probably what was best for me because I'm afraid if I got into the hunting part of it too soon, that it could have, uh, it could have changed my overall look of hunting and, and, uh, could have possibly made me not as interested in it. Like the long sits that's, you know, yeah, long sits and being too cold and not seeing any deer and, and now it was still a struggle as a 12 year 12 13 14 year old but i'm afraid if i would have been hunting at 7 8 i would have been like this is boring i'm i'm out mm-hmm. and yeah. so i i think there's i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of weight i think to starting on small game i was the same way um squirrel and rabbit hunted and uh man that was just fun you got to move around you got to talk you got to shoot a lot of squirrels listen to beagles run and chase rabbits yeah. and just learn to read sign, rabbit sign. Like all of that was the stepping stone into getting and reaching the, the ability to sit for a couple hours and try and figure out deer. And that was yeah. the learning process. I loved it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. trade those learning processes for anything. Yeah. And, and you know, you got to give a lot of credit to parents. Obviously parents Absolutely. know their kids best and, and what, what uh, level the kids could, uh, take at different points and my older daughter's definitely different than my younger daughter and and uh, they probably will go at different uh paces but um it's just the way it is mm-hmm. and i i i i think taking a new a youth out is going to be very different than an adult like we're talking about with andy i mean I, that whole process is very different obviously um we're talking to an adult you can have uh very uh, adult conversations, you know, talk to them like they're an equal. And actually that's something Andy wrote in his original article that was in quality whitetails was, um, he appreciated the fact he wasn't sure how it was going to go. And if somebody else mentored him, he appreciated the fact a friend brought him out Mm. because we could talk like equals. We're both foresters. We know forestry. He's a very bright person. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't talk to him like he was a kid and he, he just had this idea in his mind that if somebody took him out hunting, um, they might kind of talk, not necessarily down to him, but, um, you know, treat him like he might not be equal. And I, I don't know why he felt that, but he felt super comfortable ta- me taking him out, which is why he kept asking. And, and uh, I kicked myself. I didn't do it earlier. But, you know, things happen for a reason. 
Um, You know, I would encourage anybody that does take an adult hunter out, you know, don't treat them like they're a kid. They're an adult. You can have very, you know, good conversations with them about all of the things that hunting means to you. And they're very, very almost spiritual conversations because you can almost look inside yourself in a way that if you're taking a kid out, I'm talking about like, you know, do you have to go potty? <laughs> all <laughs> kinds of conversations, uh, you know, sit down, all those kinds of things. But yeah. when I'm, I'm out there with, with Andy, those conversations are super deep. They're great. They're about strategy. And uh, it's amazing what you guys know, you know, like you don't realize what you know about hunting until you start trying to tell somebody and put it, you know, put it in words. And it, it's amazing how you can be like, wow, I, I have a lot to give. Mm-hmm. And I know most of your listeners do. Um, I'll, one thing I do want to say before we go, because I know we're kind of getting close to the end, is if somebody is a hunter on here, I think most of your listeners are, you know, again, there's that challenge of taking somebody new out. If you're not a hunter and you're listening, I hope there's some people that are listening to your podcast that aren't hunters you know, reach out to a hunter, uh, let somebody at QDMA know you are interested, send an email to the kind of ask QDMA email on our website, we'll pair you up with a QDMA member nearby. Um, and one thing that I didn't mention earlier is we have a ebook. Um, it's Q, It's a free download uh, that you can get for Kindle or, or iPad. Um, QDMA's guide to successful deer hunting. It's like a deer hunting 101 for people that have never hunted. If you're not a hunter, go download that and read it. It's got videos uh, merged into the ebook. You can watch. It's got some great chapters. And if you are a hunter, uh, download that thing and send it to somebody that you know that doesn't hunt. You know, say, hey, I know you've always been interested. Here's a, it's a free download. You can, you can read it and watch the videos about how to hunt. And it's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Matt, how can they find you? Uh, so you can find QDMA at www.qdma.com. You can find me at my email address. My first name is Matt Ross, last name Ross. So first initial, last name, M Ross, R-O-S-S, at QDMA.com. Um, I'm also, uh, re- uh, you can reach me through myself, uh, Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Oh, Matt Ross QDMA. There you go. That's where I would encourage people to really follow along as you are introducing new hunters and your daughters. Um, and through your Instagram stories, it's the, that's probably always entertaining. Very much. So yes, uh, your daughters are a blast to watch on there because you can tell they're just about having fun. That's it. Yeah, they're hilarious. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us again, Matt. And hopefully the next time you're on, it won't be such a a big gap between the podcast. That's right. I hope not. And thanks for having me, guys. And thanks for shining a spotlight on uh, recruitment because uh, I think we can all do more. And uh, I I, I personally appreciate you guys, your view. And um, you guys are are doing a great job. I, I love following both of you guys and Land and Legacy on Instagram as well. Appreciate well, we that, appreciate Matt. that. We will catch up again soon. Okay. Take well, care. Thank you. Well, there you have it. What a good guy. I, I, I love all the staff there at QDMA. And um, 
they they provide such good examples. They you know they practice what they preach, and that organization is doing a lot. Like I said, reaching incredible numbers of, of new hunters and getting people outdoor and doing it in a creative way that's going to make a lasting effect. So um, if you guys have any questions, like you said, reach out to QDMA um, or us. We'd be happy to help in, in any way. This is a big thing. There's a lot of things to weigh out. And when it comes to hunting and the decline and such a drastic decline in the last 30 years, you have to look at it and say, What's the next 30 years look like? What what are we doing now that we need to change? Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we could try to point our finger at. But overall, the biggest thing we have to do is find ways to recruit new hunters. For and sure. make sure we're not losing the current hunters we have. So whether that be through loss of, of hunting ground. Um, age. Age. Hunters but then are you'll old. look at – and. I hate to say it, but there's a lot of things that our kids are doing now and teenagers that are not helping us try to recruit them for the future. Mm-hmm. We can sit there and blame video games or iPads or whatever you want to say, but we have to look at recruiting not only youth, but but middle aged and, and young adults. Opportunity. Uh, I, huge. To me, I think it's important to recruit our kids, and this is my call to action, of it's great to introduce your kids to hunting. But introducing your kids is just replacing yourself. Mm-hmm. We should be trying to expand it and build and bring in more. So not only should we be introducing our kids to replace ourselves, but also that, introducing uh, people our age or coworkers or people at church and on family. And this is where I think... Uh, well, that's the thing. If, if you're just teaching your kids the population of hunters stays stable over time, which is great. We don't want it to drop. But if we weren't to recruit more people, you have to look outside, you know, your immediate Get out of your kids. comfort zone yeah. and ask somebody. And for Bingo. me, the people I've found that want to go are people that are not necessarily immediately close to me that I talk to all the time, mm-hmm. but people that I see at church, people that I bump into at dinner parties and, and things like that to where it's like, oh, I, I, like I know of them. But I don't really know them that well. Those are the guys that are like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to hunt. but um, Because a lot of your closest friends, like like us, are already hunters. Already hunters, or I've already asked over time. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so th- this is the call to action where down the road, at the end of the uh, 20 years from now, is it a, more important to have a bunch of bucks on the wall, or is it more important to actually have your hunting rights still with us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To me, it's more important to have the hunting rights, obviously. Yeah. And uh, and in this day and age, 2018, um, you never know with not to get political, but there are certain things that could lead to where um, our Second Amendment rights aren't as strong, and so it's important that we're recruiting more hunters, getting more people out there, enjoying enjoying um, the outdoors and and everything it provides. So, um, do your do your due diligence and invite new hunters, and uh, do your homework. Find new hunters wherever they may be, and it doesn't have to be a deer hunter. No, 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 no. It, it could be a be. duck hunter. It could be a squirrel hunter. It could be a rabbit hunter. It could be a quail hunter. Um, turkey hunter does turkey not hunter. matter but i think i think the other focus is is put emphasis on the meat put emphasis on that reward not just a experience as an adventure as a kill but there is a lot to take from that you're 
no, when it comes breakdown, you know, yes, it's more expensive to hunt and, and kill your, your and provide for your family. I get that, but there is still like like Matt said that innate. It's in your it's in your human nature to provide, and that's a great way to do and it. And not when you say it's more expensive, that's where Price it could come pound. to where. Uh, Yes, it may be more expensive if the person has to go out and buy all the gear, buy the gun. But if you have, you can loan them a gun. You can, mm-hmm. you can pass down old camo. You can pass down old boots. There are ways to make it more affordable for them. And I think that's, if we're being honest, that's another one of the big turnoffs for hunting is that people believe it takes so much to get involved and they can't afford the, the new hobby. And so if you can... Um, find a way to pass down old camo and boots and, and loan guns out to where you have um, the ability for them to enter into hunting at a much more affordable cost. But No doubt. Uh, and once again, another call to action, be cautious this, this uh, the remainder of deer season and in the future of what you post on social media. You never really know who's watching, yeah. and uh, it's not going to help um, showing ourselves as being divided and and uh foolish foolish and ignorant with some of the stuff we post so remember that uh, yeah it's great to be proud of the hunter you are but once again know that there's a huge part of the population that um isn't hunters and the only way we're going to bring them over is to make it look like a respectful and and whether you agree with their point of view or not it does that that's not (laughs) the deal here it's it's let's be smart about what we're posting that's right so hopefully you guys enjoyed it um and i always enjoy talking to anybody from the qdma and i know we'll have more people on in the future so i guess with that we will catch you what do you got i'll just say don't forget about apparel line and if you have any questions for us info at landandlegacy.tv appreciate you guys listening